Welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action. I have been. Entertainment Reviews. Never shall be. Podcast. Your friend. I suspect our future is there waiting for us. Make it so. The truth is, I don't believe in the no-win scenario. Is that what you believe in, James T? You must learn to govern your passions. The captain cannot cheat death. This could just be the beginning. You know, it's exciting. I swear to you, we're not finished yet. All hands to battle stations. In three, two, one. Engage. Our Star Trek film series retrospective comes to an end. On this episode, we will be discussing and reviewing Star Trek, the Kelvin Trilogy. I will do everything I can to make you answer for what you did. This is about saving the future of humanity. I do not deserve to live. Fine, I'll kill you later. Are you out of your Vulcan mind? Remember, live long and prosper. This podcast will contain spoilers. So, this is goodbye. I will be back. You better be. You ain't seen nothing yet. And now, here are your hosts for this retrospective. Mike Winkler, Jeremy Larson, and Jason Kabasik. Hello, all uh, Lights, Camera, Action podcast lovers. We are back with the Star Trek film retrospective, the final one on the Kelvin films, or as I like to call them, the Chris Pine films. Um, I am here with Jason Kabasik and Jeremy Larson again on this great Star Trek retrospective that's been great so far, guys. And I, by the way, the best moment so far for me was Jeremy Larson convincing Jason and me to, well cave and give star trek six the advantage in the best column of the first shut films. up shut up it deserves like it. it i don't like admitting i am wrong but god damn it i was wrong <laughs> uh, yeah you, you made a lot of good points jeremy it was hard to argue it well i appreciate that if only we could have gotten dan to convince the same thing yeah right well yeah that was probably an impossible feat i think at that point but, hey, you know what? To each their own, Team Cap, Team Iron Man, Star Trek Six, Star Trek First Contact, whatever your thing is, mm-hmm. to each their own. Exactly. So I got to say, um, when this series got rebooted in 2009, which Jeremy just mentioned this before we started about how it's already been 11 years since this movie was rebooted, and it's just, God, I remember yesterday when this film got announced and that Abrams was coming in to direct this young Kirk Spock. Exactly, but uh, I... I remember going to see it on in theaters the day it came out. Yeah, and I remember too and when the just, first teaser it, like trailer. You said, it feels like yesterday. Mm-hmm. It, it does. And when the first teaser trailer came out, I remember all the buzz was like, oh my God, this looks like 90210 in space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I can admit with the music and everything, it kind of looked like a, a teenage soap opera with rock music. It did. I can see why people thought that at first. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, then the second trailer came out, and it I remember kicking major ass. The entire film, and I mean, the marketing up to it just blew me away. Well, it's of- like they had more money to spend on the marketing, more to- more money and time to promote those uh, films coming out. Right. I mean, when we're looking back towards the Picard films, you got to wonder how they were able to get this uh, actually, you know, greenlit after the, you know, the dumpster fire that was Nemesis ending the Picard films. Right. Yeah. 
Well, I think the most surprising thing is too, is like, yeah, uh, spending as much money as it did on it, going out and getting a lot of high paying talent. And um, it was, the movie was a huge gamble for Paramount and it, mm-hmm. it did pay off and it brought in actually new Star Trek fans, which was something that they finally succeeded in doing mm-hmm. because other films were not appealing to a wide audience. And I think that's why they ultimately ended up failing. What made uh, 2009 a really great film was the fact that it made Kirk a, uh, a deep character before you even saw him on screen. Yeah, oh, you're right. It did. You're right. And you could like you could relate with him. Like a lot of people could relate with him better than you know going back to TOS and seeing rigid. Like you're looking at like going back mm-hmm. to looking at mm-hmm. the original Kirk versus the Chris Pine Kirk we have now. Mm-hmm. I, I, it, oh yeah, like you said, if we have a more rich and deep character that you can more relate to. Other than this self-righteous, self-centered prick that we Kirk that we had in the original films before, but the new Kirk still has the those characters. Oh no, I'm not gonna deny that. Oh, yeah. I'm not gonna deny that he still has those traits, but it's more he already was developing his character into a deeper, more understandably relatable character. Right. Compared to how many films did it take for Shatner's Kirk to get to that point? I don't think it took films. It took three seasons of TV and then maybe a movie and a half for him to finally get deeper. Well, I think it was challenging for Chris Pine because, you know, I mean, Shatner's Kirk, of course, is a legend. That's mm-hmm. true. But if we look at the at the movies and the series as a whole, Kirk as a character didn't become this emotional guy we could relate to really until he lost his son in Search for Spock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Chris Pine comes into this and he makes uh, Kirk a, a worthy guy to believe in and relate to right out of the gate <laughs> in this film. Exactly. exactly. Which is a hard feat for an actor to do because he had quite the, uh, the, the reputation and character to live up to. And he did it big time. I 100% agree. Chris Pine is my favorite Kirk. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's... I know some people might might hit me in the face for that, but I have to agree. I mean, he just... I think he plays the character better than Shatner. Mm. I, I yeah. agree. He plays the character a lot better than Shatner. The actor himself looks like he could be a serial killer just waiting to strike, <laughs> but he plays a better Kirk than Shatner uh, did. That's yeah. Good. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like looking at better? him, he reminded me of uh, the actor from Dexter. Not going to lie. Oh, Michael C. Hall. Yeah. 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 Okay. I can kind of see a little bit of it. Yeah. But let's talk about the one character that looks so much like the original cast member, Leonard Nimoy. Oh, yeah. He, he did justice to that role. I mean, you're not going to beat a Leonard Nimoy playing Spock, I think, but I I really enjoyed the um, casting for uh, Nimoy or not Nimoy. For uh, Spock. Spock. Yeah, Zachary yeah. Quinto played one hell of a character. And it was that, uh, I mean, we're looking at an alternate universe with this entire uh, film trilogy. And every single one of these characters is different in the small ways, but is still the character in the big ways that we know as Trek fans from before. Yeah. 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 If, if there's one thing that this whole entire cast really brought to it, 
they, I mean, I don't want to say every one of them because I think Sulu probably is the one that stands out as being the one that just didn't, didn't feel like George Takai, <clears throat> you know? Yeah. And, and, and to be honest with you, I think that Hollywood's limited on Asian, Asian actors that are, that are um, popular, that are, that are high ranking talent. Seeing Sulu in this film, just, I couldn't picture Sulu at all. I no, couldn't picture no. the George Takai. What I pictured was watching uh, <laughs> the stupid fucking comedy films all over again. Oh, someone Harold and Kumar. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to see John Cho in any other, any other role than Harold. It, it's it's tough. See, the thing is, is that I I disagree. I felt that. John Cho was a very refreshing take on Sulu being uh, because George was kind of given not as much of a role as John Cho was. That's true. I just With like, all I the thought... drama that was behind the scenes yeah. between Shatner and, and George, it was just I'm glad that this as far as I know, didn't have that kind of backstage uh, drama. drama. Well, it's just that. like I thought an amazing character role uh, was Simon Pegg playing Scotty. That was fantastic. Yeah, that he was, was brilliant. He got the accent down to the T. If you closed your eyes and put um, Duhan and him in the same room, if you could, and listen to them both talk, it'd be hard to, to uh, pick out which one's which if your eyes are closed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, there's going to be slight differences, but yeah, I mean, it would be a, a hard stretch. Yeah, yeah, he plays it really well. I, to, be, to be honest, I almost would have wanted to see Simon Pegg play a heavier set, Scotty, just to kind of see how it would have gone. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if that would have worked too much because you see Simon <laughs> no. Pegg and you don't see a heavy set guy. Right, right. Where you look at if, also if you were to look at him in a more... fat suit, it just wouldn't work out for you. <laughs> True. No, Can we also I, talk I about one more character um, casting that I was a fan mm-hmm. of? And that was the Hulk playing Nero. Eric Bana. I yeah. thought Eric Bana played a really good villain. I thought he did a, an excellent job here. And yeah. he wasn't he wasn't super deep. He was deep enough to where you can kind of <laughs> get where he's coming from. Yeah. But it was just it, he played it convincingly for me. It was great. I just wish he would have been given more to do. Rather than be angry at Starfleet and Vulcan and Spock. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have seen the deleted scenes on the on the DVD and Blu-ray, but there was a scene or like a part of a storyline where they cut out where um, him, Nero and his crew were captured by the Klingons at the end of the Kelvin destruction. Oh, yeah. And I do remember that they, scene. Yeah. They were thrown onto a, a Klingon prison planet. And there was a little bit of a storyline where – you see them on there, and they're being used as slaves. And then they break free to get out to go after future Spock when he comes out of uh, out of time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I could see why it was cut because I mean, it might have slowed down the movie. It didn't feel necessary, but it would have given Bannon more to do. And there's a scene where he gets out of the prison that's pretty badass. And I think yeah. would have looked really cool in the movie. Yeah, it would have. It probably would have given him a little bit more. Uh, besides having the giant, uh, the Narada, as you know, the big ship that's in the way, it would have made Nero more of a formidable foe just by himself. You're, you're not right. looking at a captain who is hiding behind his crew in a ship. You're talking about a captain who is skilled. He is uh, incredibly lethal. And it, 
will stop at nothing to get his revenge. Mm-hmm. And his knowledge of the future, which makes him even more dangerous. See, well, the thing is, is that I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that kind of twists a little bit because this is a new future. He can't, for him to say that he knows the future, as soon as he attacked, uh, what was that ship? The Kelvin. The, the Kelvin, yes. As soon as he attacked the, the Kelvin, that, from that point on, everything was completely changed. In yeah, so that's true. Ways. So you can't, you can't say that he knows the future because it's already been... I think Spock actually makes that distinction in the movie. He too. does. Yeah, it makes the future unpredictable and they're not on the same course that they once were. So yeah, that is, that's true. That's a good point. And I thought the way they introduced all of the main cast was pretty pretty great because it showed all of their mm-hmm. uh, different strengths and their weaknesses um, with Uhura and her voices. I think this Uhura is far superior in her skill and uh, you know career place than Uhura from original timeline. <laughs> yeah. Because this, this one could is... at least speak Klingon at one point. <laughs> exactly. And you know what too? They gave Uhura sass and personality and an mm-hmm. edge, which is something, I mean, to be honest, the Uhura from the series was different time, mm-hmm. you know, in TV and television entertainment. But I mean, exactly. I like that they gave her this, this sassiness because it just made her a better character. Oh, for sure. And I do want to say too, this film has one of the, it's <laughs> definitely the best opening of any Trek film. No question mm-hmm. about it. And number two, I put it as one of the best openings of any of, of almost any movie I've ever seen because it's up there because it's really good. It just, yeah. The way that the drama just builds and you get to know little pieces of Kirk's father and the mother, and then this crew, and then Nero just comes in and you look at the ship and you're like, Oh my God, you know, where did this ship come from? And Nero takes no prisoners, shoves that big spear through Captain Norburo's head, mm-hmm. which I was shocked to see in a Trek film because yep. Trek films oh, are yeah. not usually violent. <laughs> and uh, I well, just, they I just weren't usually the violent, but there were some scenes in the original Trek series that were uh, really mind-altering uh, in a sense. Like the whole needle yeah, getting yeah. shoved through the eye. I put that up there with that. I agree. That yep. scene still gets me every time I see it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, there's always going to be those scenes that will make you cringe in a Star Trek film, even yeah. though it's not really, you know, the violent type. It's one of those psychological uh, mind things that's just going to, that just kind of makes you go, what the hell are they doing? Yeah. And I think that's, uh, it's one of the things that the Kelvin trilogy does really well is that it does enough science to make it believable but not too much to lose the new people who are watching the series mm-hmm. i yeah. think that's why they got so that's much right. it was an action film but it had a little bit of reasonable thinking to it yeah yeah it added in like a little bit of the family drama you had to um you had to kind of use your brain a little bit to figure out the whole time traveling aspect of how things worked because you know, some people might get confused by how, oh, well, why is this changing this? And why is this changing that? How did Spock come here? How did Spock come that? And the movie makes you think a little bit. It's mm-hmm. not a leave your brain at the door action <laughs> film. This, this movie could have easily done that. It could have gone down that track and it probably would have still been successful, mm-hmm. but that would make it no longer Star Trek. Star Trek has to have a little bit of that 
thinking, using your mind quality to the films, because if they don't do that, then Trek becomes no longer Trek. It becomes your typical run-of-the-mill sci-fi action film. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, the most controversial thing with this, and people always discussed it, especially when the movie came out, was J.J. Uh, Abrams' use of the lens flares. I, okay, yes, the lens flares might have gone overboard, but that's a, that's the aesthetic that I was loving when I saw the film. It was just like, I completely agree. this no, I agree. feels so sleek. It feels so, like, nice. Everything was mm-hmm. nice about it. Yeah, I think it works. I, I, to be honest with you, I, I wish more movies would actually use them because I think they look, they look cool. It makes the movie look sleek and, and, and just, just cool. No, I completely agree cool. with that. Could the argument be made that maybe it was overdone a bit? Maybe. Maybe a tad. But, like you said, I wish a lot more films would make use of, like, the lens flare. I think the thing that pisses me off is that they say they, they was using this movie too much, and I think it was used too little in Into Darkness. Yeah, but well, we're also looking at Into Darkness. It, it's a, it is a darker film, so you're yeah, not going to see as much light pouring in, but when it does, then you do get the lens flares, and that's the, it's like the little bit of hope that you see Yeah. in the film. That's a good point. That's a good point. Only really the Enterprise Bridge, if I remember correctly, really still has the the flares in that movie, which it, it still should in order to kind of keep true to what the first one did with it. So, And yeah. I love the design of the new Enterprise. I love the bridge. I love the mm-hmm. the, the screen. I, I love that you can see through the screen to see everything outside. It just, it's Oh, yeah. It just felt so incredibly new age, and it was just like I want to, I want to be on that ship. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like the Apple Store in space. I remember you saying that, and I'm going to just uh, <laughs> brush, it pla- uh, brush it past. <laughs> um, well, I guess the only issue, I love the bridge. I think the only issue that I ever had with it was, is, you know, even though this is a different timeline, why does the Enterprise bridge look so different than the original series? It's still supposed to be the Enterprise of that series. Well, we're thinking of this as in a, like actions have their own kind of consequences. I think the Kelvin's destruction forced the Federation to go really hard on their sciences. Good point. Because even they, they explain it into the darkness is that after a while they started aggressively uh, uh, exploring space and that's how Kirk didn't even find um, Khan in the first place. It was somebody else. Like it was a it, Again, completely different timeline, completely different consequences for what happened. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a, I think it's a nice way to do it. It's mm-hmm. a good point. I mean, yeah, because if you do think about it, maybe by what happened with the Nero ship, that it maybe it forced them to accelerate their plans to make the Federation go into a little bit of a more aggressive route technology. Mm-hmm. I, I guess, I guess in a way, it's almost the same problem that I kind of almost had with Discovery. Um. And of course, the same argument can't be made about Discovery. So <laughs> that's where Discovery gets a little bit foggy for me yep. because the, the ships in, in Discovery look so tech, you know, tech heavy and futuristic like the Kelvin films. Mm-hmm. And they did show the Enterprise in Discovery in season two. And I got to admit, it did look pretty good. And it, they tried to capture it close to the original series. Mm-hmm. It still looks a little too techy, but at least they tried to duplicated at least a bit 
Yeah, and that also go, comes down to the fact that going back to to the old school look may not look as appealing for new viewers. You want something nice. You want something shiny and flashy. You want some. You want the the bright colors. You don't want the like rust colored and browns and everything. You want something that that catches the eye for everybody. And I think that's why we're probably not going to be seeing any old age uh, enterprise like probably ever again, because it's just, no. they, they are so, ad I, I am kind of addicted to this new style that they have going on. And I, I don't mind that Star Trek is kind of no. rebranding itself with these, uh, with the new movies and the new TV shows. Well, they're growing up. Star Trek is growing up. And it's, it's, exactly. it's realizing where things are today and it's not trying to live in the past because like we said with Enterprise, Enterprise made that big mistake that it was trying too much to be post uh, original series, pre TNG. And we were 10 years beyond that. And Voyager and Deep Space Nine did a great job of advancing with the times. So why did Enterprise feel like, oh, well, let's go back to old school storytelling? No, you can't do that. You have to advance with the times. And that's why the Abrams movie was the perfect way to bring Star Trek back for a new generation. And that's why we have Discovery doing what it's doing. And uh, uh, I won't even say like, um, I don't know if I want to say the Abrams movie is responsible for Picard because Picard is staying true to TNG, but still adding in that new flavor and style. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, discovery, you can watch discovery and just from the very beginning, you can see the inspiration of Abrams universe. Yes. But, uh, so anything in, uh, 2009's trick you guys still want to discuss or you want to move on to uh, inner darkness? Um, I do uh, want to bring thing that I want to talk about is just how looking through here right now, let me see if I can find it again. Uh, was all the way near the bottom here. Uh, I was very acclaimed by film critics. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's gotten a 94% approval with an average rating of an 8.14 out of 10, which yeah, is the, was highest the highest scored rated. Star Trek film. Yeah, I remember when the movie came out and I saw that score, I was like, oh my God, a Star Trek film got in the 90s. I think the last Star Trek film that got in the 90s, uh, I'd have to check, but I know First Contact was pretty high. That might have been in the 80s, not the 90s. But, I mean, there's not many yeah. Trek films that, that, that were that high. They don't hit that top tier. Not too right. often. This, this made it like a top tier film. Like, uh, another thing I was seeing here, audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the film an average grade of A on an A plus to F scale. So, that's got to say something about the direction that they took uh, Star Trek in this, new, in this timeline compared to the others it seems like they're more leaning towards obviously i think this was more leaning for trying to get new people into the star trek uh series as a whole mm -hmm. and it got more of that newer audience's attention with everything going on but it still gave enough for the people that have been fans of this uh series as a whole since the beginning and they gave them enough of what 
it was from then as well that it garnered this much attention from just about everyone. Yeah, and it's funny that you say that because I remember when after I saw the movie and it was out opening weekend, you know, I had I had people on my Facebook feed that, you know, that I I've never known to be Star Trek fans, you know, never really watched Trek at all. And I was seeing a lot of people going on saying, saw the new Trek movie last night. It was freaking amazing. And I'm like, my mind's blown. People are starting to go see Star Trek and see the appeal. It was just like, wow, Paramount has succeeded. They succeeded. Exactly. They, they, they learned from their mistakes of, of, of Enterprise and, and, and Nemesis, and they went big. They went big, and, and it paid off. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then we took four years to get a sequel with Into Darkness, and this is where the fan base gets a little torn, which I'm scratching my head as to why, because it succeeded yeah, in every I, way. Shape I'm form not understanding one. why either. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the fan base is probably split between the new viewers that came with 2009 and the old viewers who were coming here uh, from the old films. And I think they were torn because they didn't know how to react to Khan as a character. Now, I, I mean, I've watched this countless times and it just, the, the one thing that this film kind of gets wrong in its delivery was when Khan delivers his his line of my name is Khan, it doesn't hit that particular chord because we kind of all knew it from the start with how things were playing out. Yeah. Um, it wasn't because everyone was, before the movie came out, it was a big mystery on who uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch was going to play in this film. Yeah. John Harrison. Uh, John Harrison. And that one was, a, it was just a, it was a very, they tried to be clever with the ruse, but it it didn't fit it, pan out that way. Mm-hmm. No, I remember Abrams, before the movie came out, everybody was always asking him, is it Khan, is it Khan, is it Khan? And he kept denying it. And it's like, okay, I understand why you were denying it, but then for it to be so obviously him, mm-hmm. it just kind of felt like, why, why, why did you even bother with the smoke screen? You'd have been better off promoting the movie that it was Khan, because then fans might have maybe appealed to it more from, from the advertising. Maybe mm-hmm. just gone with it instead of trying to keep it a secret and then telling the fans, yeah, giving them the middle finger. Yeah, it was always Khan. You guys were right. I don't know. That's the Abrams style that sometimes doesn't always pay off, and I think he made a lot of the same mistakes with the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. He didn't really learn from it. But all in all, I think Into Darkness is a fantastic film. I think everyone has oh, given exactly. everyone has given the same amount of things to, to do as they got in the first film. Um, Sulu, Sulu gets his spotlight and kind of gives a callback to when he is, you know, like captain of the, the Excelsior and kind of has a like a bad side to him. Mm-hmm. I loved that part. That was great. Also, I, I can't believe I didn't mention this before. The chemistry between Chris Pine and Carl Urban with the Kirk and Bones uh, oh, dynamic yeah. is fantastic. I think it plays so incredibly accurate towards the old movies because because Bones is super paranoid in this as he is in any sort of movie. Carl Urban's Bones is just fantastic. He just embodied DeForest Kelly so well. I'm going to have to go and rewatch these films again. Not beyond, so but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I seriously think I think sometimes you can tell 
based upon um, an actor's performance, if they're trying to call back to a previous person that played the part, mm-hmm. you can kind of always tell who put in the mo- more work than, than the others. You can yep. see who went back and watched and studied. And I think Chris Pine studied Shatner. I mm-hmm. think that Carl Irvin studied DeForest Kelly. I think Simon Pegg studied uh, uh, James Duhon. I think that those three for sure are dead giveaways that they studied. I even go that, that Anton Yelchin did study um, – uh, check. Uh, uh, yeah, I forget his Walter Walter Koenig. Walter Walter Koenig. I think he did study him too because he got the accent pretty pinpointed down. Oh, for sure. And um, I mean, he may, else... not, he may not look as you know, kind of like the Chekhov that we know, not but he in personality resembles the character, mm-hmm. which I I truly appreciate. Kind of kind of going back to the same thing as. Uh, um, John Cho and Sulu. Those are the two characters that don't exactly kind of feel like they're characters, but in in acting and in performing, they really show off uh, the characteristics that they're supposed to. Yeah, I don't think I don't think like Zoe Saldana. I, I don't think she really had to go back and watch Nichelle Nichols too much because the character was written a lot differently than Uhura mm-hmm. from the films in the show. So yeah. I think she was allowed to make it her own and that was okay because the way her character was written it's excusable because she made the character her own exactly and i don't think that uh audiences would handle well if she was written similarly to uh michelle nichols it wouldn't have worked in today's in today's Mm -hmm. world at all no it would have (laughs) fell flat the movie would have bombed and then we would have had no more star trek yeah could you imagine the female audience seeing that oh boy that would have been it would have been toxic. They needed they needed a strong female lead to take the Uhura mantle because uh, going from you know uh, in an uh, like a six star cast, you needed it, when with one woman you needed someone who was extremely powerful was what had a really good stage presence, and I think Saldana did that phenomenally. No, she really did. Now, when you guys think about. Um, Cumberbatch's con. And we discussed this briefly when we talked about actors that looked similar to Ricardo Montalban, and that one was uh, what Nestor Carbonello from Bates Motel. And uh, and he did. And I remember when, when the rumors were going around about him being possibly cast, um, I remember thinking, yeah, he's got the look. Um, but Cumberbatch's acting skills are so much wider than his, and it's no offense to Nestor, but Considering what Khan had to do in this film, the range of emotion, oh, Cumberbatch sure. was obviously oh, God, the yeah. right pick because yeah. I, I, I go back to that one scene specifically when he talks about I am Khan and he's talking about the crew and they have that shot of his eyes and his eyes are really, really blue. Mm-hmm. And he's looking off camera a little bit and the way his eyes just ball up and tear. I mean, I just looked at that and I went, well, you're obviously the best actor in this film. Just by that scene alone, you just beat everybody. Congratulations, Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch is on such a different tier of actor than so many others in the industry because it, he went from being incredibly emotional to being a tactician later on in the movie when he was holding Kirk hostage. He's like, all right, Mr. Spock, let's play this out logically. First, I'll kill your captain to demonstrate my resolve. Then I'll have no choice but to kill you and your entire crew. Oh, and don't worry, I'm not going to destroy your ship. I'm just going to eliminate your life support. How about that? And then he just kind of stares him down. I'm like, yes, I like it. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I, I think um, even though it's a different con at the same time in those scenes at the end, mm-hmm. I, I saw the Montalban kind of con there, the, the, who, who he would be if he was younger, how yeah. menacing and how, and how thin he would be. And yeah, I could definitely see that. Although I did not expect him to completely crush uh, the Admiral's head with his bare hands. No, I didn't expect that either. <laughs> no. It's kind of like that spear moment in the first film. This is exactly what you get in the second film. Yeah, pretty much. The, 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 the sound effect they used was very realistic. Yes, it was. <laughs> I felt it, that's for sure. Um, yeah. I um, Also, I loved the design of the enemy ship. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, the that's the... Um, um, shit. Yeah, you got me. I'm on pretty that sure one. it's not the USS shit, but <laughs> <laughs> the USS Mondo Duke. Yeah. Um, Vengeance was it? The Vengeance. Vengeance. Yeah. It was yeah. Vengeance. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's it was so big and menacing, and I I loved the the advanced technological babble that they've gone on that you can shoot at other people in hyperdrive or whatever. That uh, was awesome. That, that was super cool. I, I, and it's supposed to be a minimal crew, even though it's, like, gigantic. Yeah, I'd love to know how that ship's running under a limited crew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know Considering what? Considering that later... Thing, it's best not to ask those questions. <laughs> well, no. No. It's just, you just go along for the ride, and you go, oh, that's cool. It's a limited man ship. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Don't, don't question the little details like that, because that's just going to ruin things for you. No, it's like what people say about space movies and they complain about how, well, there's no sound in space, so there should be no sound in space in movies. Okay, I'm not watching a space movie with no sound. Who wants to do that? Well, I think uh, they Sorry, but ladies that. and gentlemen, this isn't the 1920s anymore and we're not watching a Charlie Chaplin film. <laughs> I do think that they did that transition very well to uh, having noise in space uh, with in the first film when they were doing that mm-hmm. jump down onto the disc where they yeah. did have that that small moment of no sound where it was just more of a it was more of an ethereal whine that was happening as they were just jolting through space but you'd hear that transition as they got into the atmosphere and it's like okay now we get it there is no noise in space <laughs> yeah yeah i thought i thought it was always cool like when somebody gets sucked out from space when the ship gets hit how it goes from loud to no sound oh, i thought that's man. that's really cool that's Super the best good. way to do it and that was in the beginning sequence too, the beginning mm-hmm. uh, of the the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it came to uh, the the jump in the second film, kind of a similar feel of trying to hit a target where you know the odds are insurmountable. But I did like how they did the uh, what what's the the invading force into the vengeance mm-hmm. with just Kirk and Khan. And I thought, I, I thought that was really cool. Oh, you mean the hyperspace jump through the asteroid field where they were like shooting them out of a garbage chute <laughs> towards. Oh, oh yeah. And they just launched it. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. That was really cool. And um, then Scotty being aboard the ship too. And, you know, <laughs> ejecting the one security guard into space while the other two were flying in. <laughs> I like the scene when, when he approaches uh, the Vengeance for the first time in the shuttle and he goes, holy shit. <laughs> it's great. great. So, like, um, we were discussing, though, before we go on, like, how we were talking about how a 
lot of people were mixed on this film and there was a lot more there was a lot more negative than we were used to seeing from the first of this trilogy Mm -hmm. even with all that i i'm looking here at the ratings i've got them all pulled up from different sites and all that Mm -hmm. rotten tomatoes still has an approval rating of 84 percent see with an average rating of 7.43 out of 10 uh, it's got uh, 72 out of 100 on Metacritic. Audiences pulled by Cinema Store, uh, Cinema Score, still gave the film an average grade of an A. See, I think I think that is just. I think there's more drama there than than there was supposed to be. So I think what yeah. we're doing is making a big spectacle of drama that used to be as to people kind of realizing their mistakes you know, after seven years <laughs> and actually liking the film. <laughs> yeah. True. True. Um, what did you guys think of, um, cause I, I hear, I talk about this with people before about this character and, and I'm conflicted about, uh, Carol Marcus. Oh, I don't know what to think. It's tough because they needed a character that wasn't expert in weapons, and none of the none of the crew was because they're a ship that's based on exploration. Yeah, they, they make that very clear. Um, I think the whole Carol Marcus thing was supposed to be a callback to um, Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan. Yeah, which is a nice callback, but I I think she's just there to be eye candy. Pretty much. Well, especially when you talk about the shot when she strips down to her bra in the shuttle, that's just kind of a cretaceous shot just added for, I guess, the male I teenage mean, viewers. I mean, I'm sorry. You have an actress like Alice Eve playing that role. Yeah. Uh, 99.9% of the time, guess what you're going to get? <laughs> hey, Hi, Candy. I'm not complaining. I, I, I'm fine. Oh, neither am I. I mean, I'm a guy. I'm good the first to admit that, yeah, I was... <laughs> oh or, I was all right with that scene but still that character did not really add much i think at all not too much no and you know what if they were going to throw carol marcus in there i would have liked to have seen more chemistry and Mm -hmm. interactions between her and kirk because that's Mm -hmm. supposed to be the future and the fact that they even drop her from star trek beyond pissed me off even more because Because at the end of into darkness they show her being a part of the crew and then they don't explain why she's not there after being mm-hmm. such a crucial part of Into Darkness. Right. Yeah, that kind of pissed me off. Maybe they just because, couldn't afford her. <laughs> maybe, maybe, and I guess because they wanted to throw in um, uh, somebody new, which was uh, the alien chick. I forget, now I'm forgetting her name. Wow, I'm drawing a blank on that today. Jayla. Too. Yeah, and they wanted to add Jayla, and they're like, hmm, we can't have two strong female characters here. Or, or we already got two with Jayla and, and Uhura. We can't have three, so we got to knock one out. Why not? Why can't we do that? I think I think them transitioning to Beyond was an extremely terrible transition. I I think it did. Uh, three more years after In Darkness, and we get Beyond, and it is it feels like it's a rushed film. Yeah, even so, it feels rushed even after the long, long wait. Yeah, because we're getting into this. You. Um, this weird situation where there's this giant snow globe in space as bones calls it and Mm -hmm. this the whole plot didn't make sense to me it just it really didn't 
Well, the biggest issue here is that, you know, you had the same writers on Star Trek and Into Darkness. You had Kurtzman and, and Roberto Orki working on those two movies. And then all of a sudden we make the third one and Abrams leaves, stays on as executive producer. And we bring in Simon Pegg and his buddy to write the film and bring on Justin Lin. Now, don't get me wrong. Justin Lin's done great with the Fast and Furious films and directing. He brought that franchise back from the dead. Mm-hmm. And I think his directing style in this movie was good. I think Justin Lin did an extra, excellent job directing it and doing some kind of cool camera tricks. Whoa, but, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm sorry to interrupt. Did you just say that he did a great job in bringing back the Fast and the Furious series from the dead? He did. That series should have stayed in the fucking grave. Uh, I for one, I won't disagree with many, you on certain aspects of it, but I think there that are franchise too many was Fast really and the Furious movies. I, I can't. There is I too many. Stand, I can't stand there the fact that there are how many that there are. Just leave it. Yeah. Leave it be. <laughs> yeah, it's a franchise that should never be up to to number nine. It, it should have been a franchise that oh, went God, no. three to four. But mm-hmm. that mo- that series what, should have whatever. ended after Tokyo Drift. Let's face it. But at the end of the day, Justin Lin came in and brought the franchise back to box office success, box office success, uh, and brought people back to Fast and Furious after it had died pretty much after the shitty two Fast and Two Furious, and you know. um, But but anyway, all right, let's let's we're going way off script here more than we did on the MCU podcast. (laughs) Let's go back to Star Trek. Well, I, I am. I'm saying Justin Lin does a good job directing it because look at all the angles that he uses on the Enterprise during the attack. Look at all the cool little camera tricks he uses. He goes in and out of the Enterprise with the camera with camera trickery. That's cool. Abrams didn't do that. Yeah. See, I, 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 I won't disagree with you. A lot of the, the visual things about Star Trek Beyond were very appealing. It's for me. It's the the entire story of it. Just it doesn't click with me because it is. It's a completely new idea of the the final frontier fighting back sort of thing. When that's, mm-hmm. I actually like because of the events of Into Darkness. I expected a Klingon conflict at some point. I did. Yeah, especially since they've hinted at the Klingons in the first two movies, and then all of a sudden they just drop it. Yeah. I expected, I expected, uh, uh, what was his name? The Christopher Lloyd Klingon to suddenly come out of nowhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that could have been a really good third film. If it was a Klingon you know, instead of a... I would have liked to have seen Chancellor Gorkhan from Undiscovered Country make an appearance. That, or uh, General yeah. Chang. General Chang. Yeah, well. yeah. Yeah, that would have been a nice little little way to go with the third movie. But we also don't know how Nero might have affected the Klingons as well. Going That's back true. Because he came in and destroyed what? It was like 40 Klingon warbirds in the first film. So that could have pushed the Klingon war effort far behind if their entire uh, fleet was destroyed too. That's true too. That's a good point. There's a lot of speculation with these. Yeah, there's a lot of speculative on how things can go. But I think you're right in the general sense of um, the film's plot is very generic. To me, the thing about Beyond, though, that really, I think, just really hit me harder than others is just because this movie seemed 
curse in a sense that we lost two big Star Trek uh, cast members. Leading up to the premiere of this? Leading up to the premiere of this and yeah. losing Anton Yelchin and Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Yeah, they did a great job of incorporating Leonard Nimoy's death into this. I liked how they did that with Spock and they honored him. I, I That was probably the one storyline I liked where Spock was struggling with you know, his older self dying and he felt conflicted <laughs> by that. That's one thing I liked. And, and the one thing I like about this movie too is the character moments were good. At least the character moments and the character dynamics were at least good. Yeah. It's just the stuff going around or uh, going on around them is just, like I said, it's just generic. I also don't like how the Enterprise was destroyed within like 15 minutes of the film beginning. I, I yeah. It, it, I know that the Enterprise is kind of like the, the crew's crutch in most of the films because the Enterprise can get you out of mostly anything. But the fact that you take that out of the movie entirely and use the USS Franklin or whatever it is that they find, it just... Yeah. And not only uh, that, it I... has like a cloak on it too, which threw me off. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, it's when does Federation ships have cloaks. I've never known that to ever happen in Trek. Um, but you know, you're right. I could see like, instead of destroying the enterprise, wouldn't it have been like kind of cool if like Kirk and the crew thought the enterprise would get destroyed and they all eject out and leave the ship and then crawl takes the enterprise and then maybe takes the enterprise to the Federation as a distraction and uses the enterprise to destroy the Yorktown base. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that have made a little bit more sense? Yeah, I think so. He could have destroyed it from within. Mm-hmm. For sure. But Simon Pegg not using his brain. <laughs> He's still stuck in Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the only Simon Pegg movie that I think I really enjoyed was Hot Fuzz. Hey, Shaun of the Dead but... was really good. Fuck you. No, I don't know. I don't dislike Shaun of the Dead. I Mike just, is not a fan I of really... zombie films. Oh, no, I love zombie films. No, it's quite the opposite. I love zombie films probably more than I probably should. Ladies and gentlemen, um, you heard it here first. Mike Winkler is a hater of zombie films. Hater of zombie films. Yeah. Unfortunately, that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm an you avid see, Walking Dead watcher. Right now. Hey, I have, I have watched 10 years of Walking Dead. You leave me alone. That's ten years of suffering that we all have gone through. Well, yes. and finally that's and finally that's coming to an end. Uh, anyway, anyway, off the zombie film topic. That's that could be a whole different podcast. Um, no, I thought, uh, I, I thought Idris Elba was a great crawl. Um, exactly. Uh, the the enemy was uh, Jayla. It felt it felt like she was too much of a gag to be a serious character with how she too interacted. Many jokes. With it was. It was so many jokes. And I, I I felt like the solution to the entire problem was very plain and simple. It didn't feel like they needed to do like a bunch of things to get everything set up. It was just like, a, oh, let's flip a switch and play some hard rock music to get these drones to blow up or whatever it is. Well, the thing I don't understand, too, about, about uh, Idris Elba and his crew is that since when does the Federation leave crews behind? They didn't send a search party to go look for these people. They just thought, oh, they might be dead. Maybe maybe they are, maybe they aren't. We're not going to go look for them. Screw them. Yeah, I didn't really get that much either. Perhaps they were in a 
places space that they couldn't reach. Uh, I I need to I need to watch the movie again. It was hard enough to watch it three weeks ago. I mean, like that. There's mo- <laughs> like I said, there's moments in the movie that I like, but it's just surrounded by a generic plot. And uh, I just wish like these character moments could have been thrown into a better story. And I don't think any. I feel like the it was centered around not enough people. Like, I don't feel like enough of them was given enough to do. Yeah. Uhura yeah. was just talking to Crawl most of the time, as far as I can remember. Simon Pegg was with Jayla, and Carl Urban was with Spock. I like the, I like the Spock and Bones moments. Those, I thought, yeah, were pretty those good. Were, those were pretty good. Uh, I don't remember seeing a lot of Sulu and Chekhov. No, Sulu was just used to talk tough like this. You're going to soon know the power of the Federation. You'll soon see. Okay, Sulu. That's too okay, bad. Big man. Whatever you say. Yeah, yeah big man in tiny shoes. <laughs> uh, no, you're right, though. Yeah, Uhura is just talking to Crawl most of the movie. She's not really given a lot to do. And, like, it's not even it's not even translated voice, either. It's They, all, they fix that immediately in the film by putting the universal translator on. That, yeah. that's the very first thing that they do so that Uhura is her job is like not there anymore yeah she becomes useless her whole purpose is just like thrown out the window yeah I liked Uhura back in Into Darkness I thought she was extremely an extremely strong character and had a great relationship with Spock and the other characters but now I just I feel like it was just bland it was extremely bland yeah. All yeah. Right. I, so, I wanna, I wanna, what's that, Mike? Go ahead. Uh, I want to talk about too the opening of this movie because the first two openings of of, of the other two were were strong, good openings. Mm-hmm. This one was just cheesy, and it felt like an episode from the '60s of the original series. And I, I guess maybe that's what they were going for. But to me, when you already had two strong openings in the first two, this just felt like I remember being in the theater when the movie opened, and I was like. Oh boy, is this movie going to be a gag? And parts of it are. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that, let's go ahead and get into the responses that we're getting from this one. Uh, see, Rotten Tomatoes, I'm seeing an 86% approval rating with an average of 7.0 out of 10 as of Higher May of this year. Uh, it's got a lower average rating though than End of Darkness did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I don't understand too because I look. I look at fans' responses on message boards when this came out, and everybody was saying how much better it was than Into Darkness, and that it it holds a torch to the first one, maybe even slightly better. And I remember going, "What are you seeing oh. that I'm not?" Exactly. exactly. Uh, let's see. On Metacritic, the score it got a the film got a score of a uh, sixty eight out of a hundred which is lower mm-hmm. than the previous two films. And then on CinemaScore, audiences gave the film an average of an A-, minus, down from the first two films, A. So oh, a lot more people, uh, it seems like, have said this movie was a little bit worse than the previous two, which, given everything that we've seen from the other two, is yeah. fairly accurate. I think this people are starting to come around but, uh, on it. Another, Another big name in film reviews, uh, Richard Roper, okay. uh, gave the film three out of four stars and said 
and I quote, even with its big screen pyrotechnics and its feature length running time, Star Trek Beyond plays like an extended version of one of the better episodes from the original series, and I mean that in the best possible way. I I guess you could look at this feeling like an episode of the original series because the plot looks like it was taken out of an episode of the original series. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it would work maybe as a 40-minute to an hour episode, but as a two-hour movie it didn't compared to what we've gotten that. before... Yeah, it did. It didn't see the flow of this one completely is completely different than the other two films. Yeah, it was just it was watch it too. It feels different. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like you know watching Iron Man three. Well, this is the Iron Man three of the Iron Man trilogy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Yeah. The 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 one moment I guess in this movie that really stands out for me is the um I did like when Spock sees the picture of the original crew, I did like that moment. That was like the 50th anniversary moment that they were trying to call back to, which this movie was supposed to honor, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and I wish we could have seen the inside of the new Enterprise A. I remember thinking I want to see the inside of that ship, and now I think we never will because I don't think we're getting another Chris Pine movie at this mm-hmm. rate. Yeah, I um, think I don't know. I think... I'm still gonna hold on to hope that we're gonna get another one. It's just a matter of when. No, we won't know. Yeah, it, they have to really study into it right because I feel the lacking from missing Anton Yelchin as Chekhov is gonna create mm-hmm. a big hole that it's gonna be finding. Like the balance in that is gonna be very hard to find. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, they could easily explain his absence. I mean, they could say maybe he got another ship, serving on another ship. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that would be tough. And and I've been hearing a lot of different rumors about there are three there are three Star Trek film ideas out there that Paramount is deciding what they want to do. Okay. The first one is a one that would be directed by Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm, I heard um, about that. And it's going to be written by, I guess, an Oscar-winning writer, which we've been down that Oscar-winning writer before with Nemesis, so I don't want to go down that path again. Um, and I guess he said that he may want the Chris Pine crew involved in that, but he said that it would be more like a gangsterish type of story, which is another callback to an original series episode. Mm-hmm. We've been here and done that with Beyond, so maybe not the best idea. Um, the one guy, uh, Noah Hawley, he, he wrote... Um, he does the new Fargo series, mm-hmm. and he did uh, Legion. He has an idea for a movie as well. It's not going to involve the Chris Pine crew at all. It'll be a whole new crew, and it's going to center around a virus in space. Now, they've said Paramount might not want to do this because of what's going on in the world now, and it might be yeah. too soft of a subject. And then there's the idea to bring the Chris Pine crew back, but there's no details as to who would make it. Yeah. Um, there's been talk of going back to the storyline that Abrams wanted to do, with bringing back Chris Hemsworth and, and Kirk's father in a time travel storyline, which is what he that wanted to do before cool. the movie was shut down. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. Well, like, so I'm looking up here, since we were talking about, uh, like, what the sass would be of a new uh, Star Trek film, uh, period, anything at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, obviously you had the... Uh, Mer- the complications from the merger between CBS and Paramount, the status of that, how it's finally settled down and all that, and it's looking like everything's smoothing over. Um, it's possible that 
those Trek movie plans have finally come full circle. And it's from what I'm reading here, it's likely that the next Star Trek movie that comes out is going to be a Kelvin Universe sequel. Yeah, I think that's the right approach because launching a new crew is going to be too complicated, and I think that might backfire. Uh, and let, um, I mean, they they could do an entirely new crew that doesn't even center around the Enterprise, but what do you have? You can't really have Star Trek without the Enterprise. No. I mean, Unless you're making like cruise, a Voyager feature film. <laughs> I, I mean, you could. There's rumors that that they want to that they want to do a Janeway series. I'm even hearing rumors about a Cisco <laughs> series. It seems to me since Picard There's... now they want to go back to the well. Mm-hmm. So there are four different uh, projects like that were talked about at one point as to what would be the next Star Trek film uh, yeah. prior to the nothing that we have right now. And these ones that I'm seeing are including a sequel to Beyond starring the Kelvin crew. And possibly the the return of Hemsworth as George Kirk. Yep. Uh, A possible Kevin uh, Kelvin Universe sequel directed by S.J. Clarkson. Yeah, that was the one they 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 canceled uh, before all this stuff started. A gritty R-rated Star Trek film directed by Tarantino. That's the gangster one. And then a new film directed by Noah Hawley with new characters. Yep, that'd be the virus one. That one will never. That one never, will never sell. I don't think uh, that might be better for doing for like a, a TV series or a TV movie kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But Tarantino seems like the most risky, and I don't think that that's going to appeal to everyone. That might be too gritty for Trek. Yeah, I. But I do think you had mentioned earlier that if the future of Star Trek is in television, because I think what they're doing for Star Trek in television is really good oh yeah like it's it's great like even i I just started watching the lower decks the other day and that oh the animated series Mm -hmm. yes and it's really good for an animated star trek it kind of feels like you punch you know punched a star trek and futurama right into into each other and that's what you get (laughs) yeah but Uh, yeah i heard that uh uh, lower decks takes place after nemesis and uh, I heard Q made an appearance. I actually haven't seen Q yet. Oh, that'll yeah. be fun. But yeah. no, like, I'm agreeing with this. I think if we don't see another film being made with the Kelvin universe, I think the, that is going to be the big plan is running with the six major success we're seeing with these new TV shows that are out with Picard, Discovery, Strange New Worlds, uh, and maybe down the line we'll end up seeing some uh, new film made probably, who knows, 10, 15 years from now. That would be a new off of these yeah. new, Based off these universes that they're going into. So we could see a completely new rebooted series. We might see a reboot of uh, TNG for all we know. Ooh. That'd be tough. It'd be really tough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I won't disagree with that. It would be really tough, but it could be possible. You never know. I mm-hmm. would be, I, I, for one, would be really interested to see what they could do with a rebooted TNG uh, movie saga. Mm-hmm. Jim Parsons for data, hands down. <laughs> yeah. I don't There's know, nobody I better he... out there. 
I think he's too tall for the part, though. I think he is extremely like. He is tall. They'd have to. Do you know what? Do you know what uh, they? Do you know what they can do here? CGI. <laughs> That's true. That is true. They could just make him look a little bit shorter. They could just cut down on his height oh. a little bit. I mean, look at who was it? The guy who played uh, Gimli in. Yeah, he's a big uh, one guy. of the Rings movies. John Rice Davies, yeah. Absolute fucking yeah, giant in real enormous. life. And CGI makes him look like a tiny little midget. Yeah, guess what? It can and that happen. was the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So imagine how much doable. technology has evolved in the 20 years since then. Well, shit, we're de aging actors nowadays. So, I mean, we've come a long way. But we will have to see where it goes. Exactly. We'll see. Yeah. So, Star Trek's future is bright. So, going into this next part now, one of our, one of my personal favorites of this retrospective we've been yeah. doing. Yeah. Best to worst, and I think we can all pretty much agree on which one's the best <laughs> and which one's the worst. Yep, we're all going to agree on this one. So, I'll just go ahead and start this off then, since I'm pretty sure our agreement is the same. Into Darkness, original film, then beyond. Ditto. Oh, it's so tough. Where do I go from here? <laughs> he wants to say Beyond's the best. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Nope. He's not Alistair. No, I'm not. <laughs> Alistair, Alistair would... would say Beyond. Oh, my gosh. If he, uh, I don't even want to talk to him about it because I don't want to know the answer to that question. But, yes, I'm going to put I'm gonna put Into Darkness, then the original, then Beyond. There, It just it can't be any other way for me. All right, okay, so, so the ultimate question comes into play then. Which one was the best out of the entire 13 films? We got all 13. Think, this is the end, so we got to rank. I think I already know who what I'm going to have to agree with here, and I'm I think that it's going to be the same one Jeremy's thinking of. Undiscovered Country at number one. You know, this is where I'm torn because I like Into Darkness a lot. Mm. Are you having the same conflict here, Jeremy? Yes, I am. I'm, I'm very, very torn. <laughs> Because I, I am very drawn to the classics of uh, Undiscovered Country, but I do like the new modern approach that Into Darkness had, which makes it a very tough competition for the both of them. In the end, for me, well, yes, I'm the same way. I do have to give this one to Undiscovered Country if just by, the, by less than maybe it a point or two. I think I think I'm gonna to have to agree with you there that Undiscovered Country is still gonna be the best out of all of the films. And then it's into darkness right after that. <laughs> but and then we had the TNG one that we all thought was the best that probably rounding off the top three. Yeah. Well this is where I go against the group. I do like Into Darkness slightly more. And that's okay. And that's perfectly fine. I mean, there's no real... I can't really make a true argument to say, hey, you're wrong, here's why. 
like Jeremy yeah. did with us in the last podcast. Yeah. There's a case the, to be had for the darkness, so it's tough. <clears throat> yeah. Like, if we were putting the on a scale of, like, zero to 100, I'd have Undiscovered Country at maybe, like, a 98, whereas Into Darkness, I'd have it, like, a 96.5. Yeah, it's, I, it's there's close. Like, there's less than a two point difference in my book between the mm-hmm. two. I can't. It, it, I think the, re- the thing that really swayed me was a. I look at Cumberbatch's Khan. It's just so powerful. He's a, just a fantastic villain. Yeah. And then also too, like the the space and the action sequences in the darkness are just so good, mm-hmm. so good. And and Undiscovered Country, I mean, didn't have the you know all the big spectacle at the time, but uh. You know, um, although yeah, I, I, I do, just, I, I will have to say the uh, the battle with uh, the Enterprise, the Excelsior, and the cloaked Klingon ship at the end of the Disco- uh, Undiscovered Country was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty for, good for its for it uh, the day that it was in. Yeah, I remember the torpedo going straight through the Enterprise too. That was one oh, one was, pretty damn cool shot. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course, yeah. completely destroyed the mess hall. I mean, that was the poster. You remember the poster with the shot right through the bridge? Yep. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Well, then there you go. But what uh, What about the, the worst, the least favorite Oh, in um, all of the Trek movies? Well, what was that? Sorry, I was uh, checking my messages real quick. I mean, what, well, what what is your least favorite in all of the Trek movies? Ooh. Well, be, beyond is far from the worst. One. That's the thing, is that as much as we put Beyond as the lowest in the Kelvin trilogy, it is it's still, no... It is still leaps and bounds better than some of the shit we saw. Uh, all right, I'm just going to put this out there. The worst movie is in the original six. It It is... Uh, and it's mostly because I I have to put motion picture at the bottom and like even past the final frontier and that is just because there is a lot more emotional range in the final frontier than there ever is in the entire two and a half hours of the motion picture I am putting the worst one as the final frontier because why the hell does God need a spaceship? (laughs) Good point. It's a good point. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, like I said before, Beyond's far from the worst. I think Beyond's still a good it's still a good Trek film. It's still entertaining, you know, and it's still it's still good in in some ways. But yeah, um I'm gonna have to go with the motion picture being the worst because that movie is just a it's a fucking bore. I'm gonna put it plainly. It's it's a bore. Yeah, I mean I think we can agree that the two worst films in the whole saga that is Star Trek is one in five. Is one in mm-hmm. five. Yeah, but it's yeah, just a differing of a, <laughs> It's just a differing of opinions on us. So which one is worse? Me, God doesn't need a spaceship for you guys. There's no acting in the first film. Well, there's acting in the first film. It's just we're going Bad through acting. a little space, a little space cloud. We're going in the future of entertainment. We're going to the cloud, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, I think the only reason why I say one slightly over five is just because um, there's there's a few little moments in five that I like 
that I that I laugh at and, and stuff like that. Where in one, I can't find a moment I like. I, I just can't. Scotty in five brings it back for me. I mean, Scotty was Scotty in five? All, yes, he was dealing. Oh with no, I'm talking. Was that's not what I'm, was Scotty in five? Good. Yes, I love that. But that was the only shining point. Otherwise, I it took me. I think it was three days to finally finish watching uh, Final Frontier. I wanted to fall asleep every fucking moment that I was watching wait, wait, that film. Wait, wait, wait a minute. You got through the motion picture? Yes, I got through the motion picture. Yikes. You're... You deserve a fucking medal. It felt I haven't like gotten I was through watching... that whole movie in 20 hey, years. Hey, 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 hey. hey. It, it felt like I was watching an episode of old Star Trek at the end. It felt like I was watching a slideshow that never ended. It, it took a lot of effort. I don't know if I remember even how the motion picture even ends. It ends with them, you know, flying the Enterprise into the sunset or something like that. Uh, was a bright it? spot at the end of the rainbow. Pretty much. The the, the V'ger cloud explodes and the Enterprise flies out. That's, that's basically the end of uh, the whole thing. The best moment is watching because that cloud explode no, and never coming back. I don't remember any character resolution happening at the end of that film. No. Do you know that I that I read something when they were talking about doing a one more Chris Pine film that there was talk about bringing back the V'ger cloud? I was like, are oh, you no, kidding me? No, no. Do you want a boring, terrible Trek movie? Because hey, that's going to kill Trek. You could do What the hell did I just miss here? <laughs> I, just, I tuned out again for a second because someone <laughs> you got him. me. You got him. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. All right, ex explain um, to me. What the hell did you just say now, Mike? I, I said there was a, there was a moment uh, about maybe, I don't know, two or three months ago I was reading and somebody was suggesting for the next Chris Pine film to bring back the V'ger cloud. If they did it right and not oh, a complete... Oh, movie. my head. <laughs> oh... No, success. No, no, no. no. Hey, the V'ger cloud makes just as much sense as the Star Trek Beyond uh, plot. So, oh my God, <laughs> I, I would know. much rather sit through a twenty-four hour <laughs> marathon of number five than anything involving the V'ger. But cloud see, now that's interesting, though, because you just said that five is worse than one. So. Anything involved, I would much I got you. I got you on that one. This oh, is all you I have for you. <laughs> this is all I have for you. Fuck you. Fine. One's one? worst. Okay, so one, one's your new worst. Okay, I got it. God damn I got it. it. <laughs> we had two opinion changes. Sucker punch. And now he's just, he's beating himself up over there. I can just tell. <laughs> oh man, you're speechless, Jace. This is why I drink. <laughs> <laughs> because of his connection oh, with Star Trek films, man. Mm -mm -mm. <laughs> because my friends make me have to admit that I'm fucking wrong. <laughs> I just ended the retrospective with a bang. I'm proud. I'm proud oh. of that. All right. 
Oh, that was good. That was get me out of this nut house. Get me out of this nut house. <laughs> <laughs> oh damn. That was good. But yeah. But all, all right, in all, so yeah. On that note, uh next meeting everyone is gonna be the final part, I'm assuming, of our Marvel podcast. Yes, all five of us will be back and <laughs> talking about the two big Avengers films, Infinity War and Endgame. And that little film called Far From Home that Dan English has yet to see, and I hope he has seen it because it is awesome. Did you guys get uh, uh, around to watching that uh, Spock documentary? No, I, I have did not. not yet. I'm actually I'm happy you reminded be watching me. that tonight. Okay. Uh, where is it on? Yep. It should be on Netflix. You said it's called what? Uh, For the Love of Spock. For the Love of Spock. Okay. I'm going yep. gonna, gonna... I'm gonna to check that I'm right gonna... now real quick just to see. Cool. Yeah, I want to watch that. I, I, how long is that? Is that a two-hour documentary? Uh, let me see yep. here. Yeah. Yep, it's on Netflix, and it is running time of uh, 111 a, minutes. About two hours of movie, yeah. Nice. But it's good. Just added it to my queue. So, yeah, I will definitely be watching that tonight while I'm at work. Awesome. Perfect. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us on the Star Trek retrospective. It's been it's been fun. Education. Oh yeah, it's, it's been a blast. <laughs> it's been hopefully <laughs> our minds have been blown for some of us. Revelations that we never thought were possible. And a man's Especially opinion Jason. of his worst film has been changed. <laughs> He's never. A man's opinion of his best film has been changed too. Uh oh. You know, that, that, oh, see, look at that, Jeremy. You got him on that one. You got me on that one. And I got him on that one. Look, here we Success. go. <laughs> Success. Your mind has been swayed. Your mind's been blown, Jason. It's okay. It's okay. Just wait until Greg. we get into some other perspectives. I'll get you back. Fair enough. Fair what enough. <sighs> well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, <coughs> we're going to see you on Marvel Phase 3 Part 2. All right, we'll see you later, ladies and gentlemen. Space, the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the starship Enterprise. Her ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life forms and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before.